showed you in film mode, we couldn't get a projector, video and stuff. I'm gonna, I am gonna look into uh, seeing if we can get into the film room later. I'll let Mr. Whitburn know and we'll, we'll make an announcement. I did have a couple questions, if you don't mind me starting, no, and we'll go to the, to the fans, and there'll be better questions than mine, so. Um, but I, just a very general, generic question, uh, obviously very extensive career in, in the film and television industry. How did you decide on stunt work, and did you get formal training? Yes, on both. Okay. Uh, where do I start? I was a little boy in Kentucky on a farm. And my granddad was a big farm in Waco, Kentucky, outside of Richmond. And we used to go to the movies and see, you know, when I was growing up. And we would see Abbott Costello, and we would see all these, all these serials that they played at the theater, local theater in Richmond. And my sister and I decided that we were going to be an entertainment. Even though, so when we go back to the farm, we would dance and sing and do all kinds of goofy things to, to entertain ourselves. You know how families are, they think we were real cute and good, because we were bad. And then we moved to Cincinnati, and my dad had a company over there, and, uh, and so I was going to the Catholic, uh, uh, the Catholic school, and uh, being a Baptist is not a good thing to be at a Catholic school. And uh, they had a music department. So I got involved with the music department, and the guy said, so you ever thought about dancing? And I said, sure, I thought a lot about dancing. So anyway, from there, uh, I started sneaking in down on the river in Ohio, where all the bars and clubs were at, and showtime, you know. My sister and I, we used to sneak in and watch all the acts on stage and watch their routines and all the stuff that was going on. Now, this is 1943 in that area. So, my mom said that uh, we're going to California. Wow. And I said, why are we going to California? They said, because you know, my dad got tired of Cincinnati and Kentucky and the farm life and all that stuff. And there was better opportunities in, in, in uh, California. And my, my dad was a cripple. He got hurt on the farm when he was a teenager and he couldn't, you know, it was very hard on him because he couldn't be normal, what they would say. So anyway, we went to California and we lived in Glendale, California. And the first job I got was at the Griffith Park studio, horse studio, where all the writers and actors would come and, and practice their writing and go up and to Griffith Park and all that stuff. Well, across the road was the Sun and Pioneer Club, which was Roy Rogers and all the cowboys hung out. And they would sing and dance and play pool and all that stuff. So I would hang out there for lunch and then i go back to work or back to school, whatever the subject. And then we moved to uh, Ballin Park. When we got to Ballin Park, I was breaking horses and this one horse landed on me and broke my foot. So when the mother laid the law down there, and my dad was 
very upset right now. He said, you will not ride any more horses. You won't do any of that stuff until you graduate from high school. And when you graduate from high school, you can do any damn thing you want. And so my mom said, by the way, when you finish and your uh, foot gets healed and everything, you're going to start taking dancing lessons. So after my foot got healed, I started taking dancing lessons. But what happened, and uh, after a lot of stuff in between, I went in the National Guard, in the Air Force, and got out in uh, 54, uh, 57, I mean. And uh, I played in clubs in Okinawa and all that when I wasn't doing my job with General Hips as a bodyguard. And uh, so I, I was kind of and all that. But anyway, when we came back to California and, and I was going to PCC College and entertainment and all that, and uh, I had an offer. And, and that offer gave me the opportunity to be an actor, which I didn't care to be an actor. I want to be an entertainer, which is different. Okay? And I love stage. And I love live audience, and I loved all that stuff. So what happened, uh, I was put under contract at Universal Tours doing the Wild West comedy show, and I played the comedian. And that show allowed me to meet all the people in the lower lot who was casting and doing all that stuff. And the next thing I knew, I was watching people doing stunts and this and that, and I started training. And that's how I got into stunt. But what really uh, was interesting, stunt was only a part of what I really was. But being a dancer allowed me to, and I wasn't a real good dancer, but I was a physical dancer, uh, allowed me to do things that a normal dancer wouldn't want to do when they're doing ballroom dancing. And, uh, and for example, uh, years later, I was called CBS, and on CBS was uh, a show that was being going to be started, and they wanted a double for the main actor. And, uh, and so I went inside and uh, met everybody, and then they introduced me to the actor, and it was Barry Boswick. And uh, Barry said, you dance, and I said, well, they do. He said, can you do this? So they played the music and he did these steps. And I watched. And then they played the music and I did those steps. Not as good as him, but, uh, you know. And he said, well, can you do this? And he did it, and then I, I did it. Then he said, can you do this? And I, and I said, yeah. So I did it the best I could. Then I said, Barry, can you do this? And he looked at me. And I did the step and I flipped off the wall and I went like that. He said, you got the job. <laughs> for the next 11 years, I doubled Barry Bothwell on all his films and dance and stage shows and all the heavy stuff. And uh, we're good friends today. Uh, we don't see much each other, but we're still really good friends. He was a tremendous writer and a tremendous actor and a singer and everything. And he taught me a lot of uh, movements and stuff so I could portray him. Because in Paramount, uh, Paramount didn't want him to get hurt one iota. So 
anything that came to look like it was going to be dangerous or hurt, I did it. Because I was a good photo double for him too at the time. Not today, I'm much, uh, much more handsome. But uh, the question is that for 11 years uh, I had him, and, uh, and the last show I did was, was a Disney show uh, a number of years ago. And uh, it wasn't much, but uh, it was nice, and, and uh, that was the last time I worked together. But I did a, a, a more, I was six years with Peter O'Toole, all over the, you know, Europe and playing all those parts, and Dublin here in the United States. And uh, there were so many uh, top actors, uh, Knight Rider, I did all the Knight Riders fights and high stuff. I didn't drive the car. I, I did all the, all the trick, physical stuff for him uh, for 25 episodes. And it goes on uh, to the stuff. But the big thing that it comes down to, I never was finished stunt person or actor. I was learning every time I went on a new show. New things, new systems, new airbags, from porter pits to this and tunneling and this. And so it was a, a training process for a lot of years because I worked out all the time. And, uh, and fencing, uh, I did a lot of fencing for different shows. I have the, the guy who trained uh, Earl Flynn. I worked with him all the time. He gave me all Earl Flynn's fencing swords. And I have them on my wall at my ranch. And uh, so all this stuff was, was great for me because it was a learning process at the same time. And I, it was constantly educational because it's a system the people I was doubling, uh, the way they walk. I would watch a guy walk and talk and do and how he drank and all that. So when I did a stunt, I looked like him physically. And that's what made me successful in the industry because I just didn't do the stunt. I was him, that person. And that's why the directors liked me and the producers liked me. I did over 400 films and TV shows and episodes. And I did Tecumseh, Blue Jacket, uh, Daniel Boone, uh, Knight Rider, uh, not Knight Rider, but uh, uh, A-team shows all over the world as, as a director and producer and casting and all that. So I, I, in China, I worked with the Chinese uh, productions in showing American history, teaching the Chinese, which is a bad thing uh, because Everything you train them, the communist supervisor would tear it back because they didn't want them to know safety. And I teach safety. And it was a very hard program for seven, six or seven months over there. And uh, big, big combat battle scenes, working with the, all the people and teaching them safety and, and the proper equipment and the, so the people can. Then you find out that all the extras are military people. Because <laughs> they ain't got nothing else to do with it. But uh, it, it's been an education for me all the way up to where I'm sitting today. Ta da! <laughs> um, I'm going to combine a couple questions I had because I think they go hand in hand, especially after getting the opportunity to talk to you in the car the other night. Uh -huh. um, obviously, I think a lot of people here want to hear about your work on Halloween and, and the oh. scene you're in. But also, if you don't mind, um, 
you know, my opinion, Deborah Hill uh, was a major force in the horror community and not not talked about enough. So maybe while talking about Halloween, you can also tell us about your uh, relationship with her and, and, and her influence on the film. Well, first of all, to talk about Deborah Hill is uh, very close. We were great friends. Excuse me. She graduated from college and film school, and she came to California. And being in California in the film industry at that time, when she came in, it was a good old boys' club. They wouldn't allow women to be writers. They wouldn't allow women to be producers. They wouldn't allow women to be directors. They wouldn't allow anything. You were you stay in wardrobe and makeup. Period. Here was a talented woman that couldn't buy a job in Hollywood. So the only job she got was working with Dean Cunney, the camera operator, and the DP, who had his own company going at that time, that was doing mature films. I won't say what kind of film, but mature. And she was wardrobe, makeup, production, and stuff like that. I got to meet her on Don, Don Edmonds' show when Don called me and asked me to coordinate and do second unit directing on a lot of action shows. And Dean Cunning was the camera person on this with his crew. And they were all non-union. It was SAG, actors, but non-union crew. And uh, these were independent shows, not studio shows, but independent. So I met her. So when I would take out the second unit to do action, she was my AD. And we became great friends. And we would talk hours and talk about production and this and that. And she was learning, I was learning from her, because she was a very talented woman. So anyway, this went on for five or six films that we did. And then I went out of places, and she got involved with John Carpenter. And uh, they wrote the script Halloween. Now, Nick Castle graduated with John Carpenter at his film school. So they were very close friends. So uh, Castle was a great writer and a director himself, which he did the last Starfighter film. So he was working with John to produce this, uh, not produce this film, but do this film, Halloween. And this was a film that would allow Deborah Hill as a producer, writer, and a production person to step out into the Hollywood scene of filmmaking. And uh, so I was working on Gunner Contract at Warner Brothers doing police stories and uh, doubling uh, playing a cop and doing a lot of hot car driving and all that stuff. And she called me and asked me if I would come to Orange Grove Avenue, where they were filming it. And I said, well, if I can get off, I'll, I'll be there, but I don't know what time we're gonna get off. So I went and asked the coordinator, and he got upset with me, because you don't ask the coordinator, can I get off so I can go to another film? <laughs> and uh, it just happened that the production wrapped early to move to another spot where they didn't need stunt people, they only need the main actors because that's the only time they could film it. So, 
playing the Lone Ranger music, I got in my 4x4 and hauled buns over to, from Los Angeles all the way over to, to Hollywood in Beverly Hills to Orange Grove Avenue. And I pulled up and I went up the driveway at the house and there was the executive producers and distributors of the film at the coffee club. And then they came out of the house, Deborah introduced me to John. There was Don Barron, the production manager, and uh, everybody, and, and I knew everybody except John. I didn't know John. So John said, grabbed me by the hand, and said, wherever I go, I want to go. I said, if you go to the bathroom, I'm not going with you. <laughs> and, you know, because I wanted to know that I have a little humor, right? And he laughed, and we became great friends from that moment on. So anyway, we went upstairs, and I met Tony Moran, and Tony was there, but they wanted a real young face when they pulled the mantle off. Now, Tommy Lee Wallace was a production designer and prop. He was the all-around cowboy on that show. He was the editor. And he was the one that, that most of the time, when Nick Capital was there, he had the mantle. And he did that on a lot of scenes. So he was uh, the real Michael Myers. And then I would put Nick Castle after him, but they put Nick Castle as whatever. But anyway, they were good, and uh, so I was brought in for liability. It was a three hundred thousand dollar film, and it was uh, a non-union crew with actors. Uh, Tony Moran didn't have a, a Screen Actor Guild card, so he was working that show. He had to work three days in order for Screen Actor Gill to give him into the union, that he worked a union show. So that's why he was there. And uh, Deborah Hill knew his uh, sister who was working on Happy Days. And, and, uh, and she said, great, get him in, you know, and all that. So then uh, we went out and looked at the balcony and all the stuff that John wanted to do. And, uh, it was getting late in the evening, and we discussed the character of Michael Myers, the way with uh, Deborah Hill and, and John. But when you're talking to, to Deborah Hill, you have a character that she designed. But when you talk to the character with John Carpenter, it's what he's shooting in the individual in real life time. And sometimes you can't take the two and bounce them and make them even. So I'm, I'm going like this, you know, listening to both of them and trying to figure out. So he said, when you do the fall, when we get around to do it, I want Michael Myers in the air. I don't want a real wild and crazy stunt like you see a lot of stunt guys do. I want the character to continue on to the ground. Okay, so we arranged everything around and I called and a friend of mine brought my, my porter pits over and uh, then they, they were shooting the interior shot of the uh, closet where she was in the closet and Tommy Lee Wallace was playing Michael Myers. And uh, so they finished shooting that stuff and then uh, they came out, and I said, uh, Tony Moran took the shot 
they set up the cameras for going to take the shot to go through the door out to the patio roof. And Dean Cunney says, why don't we use Jim to do it? Because we look like Mud and Jeff when we stand together. I was real tall and he was real short. So in order for continuity and editorial, what they did when they cut the and, and stuff, they wanted to see which is the best for equalization on the film. So I did the same, everything that Tony Moran did when I was there, I did the overlap of the same stuff. So then uh, we got to the my part, because it was getting late, and they have a curfew in, in Beverly Hills, no filming after 10 o'clock. No vehicles on the street, no lamps on the yard. You can shoot inside, but you can't outside. So we were breaking down, so we put the pads up, and I said, oh, by the way, you have any coffee cups? Everybody started laughing. And he said, were well, you drinking coffee? I said, no, I want coffee cups. So I said, bring all the old coffee cups and new coffee. So I put them up, and then I put the porter pit on top. The porter pit was five foot wide by nine feet. And it was 18 inches thick. And we put the camera right at the edge of the pad, facing upward where I was going to come off the thing. And the reason I put coffee cups underneath the pad, the, the pressure and air would go out and I would go below camera and I wouldn't bounce back up and destroy the shot. And that's why the coffee cups were put in there. Everybody laughed about it, but that's the reason why. And uh, so they, we had two cameras upstairs and one downstairs. and. Uh, I went through the door and hit my box and went through the thing and I did the fall and tried the best what John wanted me to do. And then they came and said, it's a wrap. I laid on the ground and shot it from up here, you know, and we got all that and then we wrapped and went inside. And then uh, I did a few more things inside that John wanted me to do and then uh, I had to go because it was getting early in the morning. And I had to go to work at Police Story down in Los Angeles. And uh, so I jumped in my 4x4 four four and put the badge on my back of the truck and gone. <laughs> and I had to, just another film to me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just uh, doing it for a friend, uh, a great friend of mine for all these years until she passed away. And bless her heart. But anyway, she was a hell of a woman. And uh, I, uh, I loved her dearly as a friend. And she loved my kids. She used to play with my kids and all that. So I used to bring them on the set every once in a while when I was uh, up there in different areas and stuff. But uh, she was a great lady and she opened up the industry. She got awards after awards once they saw her talent and what she could do. She opened up the door for a lot of women to become directors, producers, writers in the industry. And you look at today, you see some of the ladies are unbelievable in the characters that they do, other than being an actress. So that's the little gel of the, my life with her and Halloween. But I have to tell you, Halloween was just another film to me. It, I've done so many of the horror films. Uh, and I have to tell you, I've never seen the full movie. 
None of them. <laughs> Even with uh, Rob Sonby, when he called me to come to the premiere, I got up and walked out. <laughs> when they were killing the security guard, they were playing music after music after music after music. I said, what the heck? I, this is a musical. So I got up and left. <laughs> and Rob said, where are you going? I said, I come to see a show. I didn't come to see a musical. <laughs> well, the music was because he's a big seller in Europe. He's on his band and his music. And he wanted me to be in the next movie because I said, I, call me if I'm available, but I, I, I'm leaving for overseas. So, so we were friends, but uh, I never worked for Rob. I never did. Tyler Mann was, was good for him. You know, and Tyler is a nice man. And uh, we, had a, we had a conversation in, uh, I forgot what show it was, back in, uh, Baltimore. It was one of these little spooky shows. It wasn't Halloween. It was about ghosts and weird things. And all these people were, uh, they they talked to spirits and stuff. And that's what it was all about. So Tyler Mann and I was brought in and we had a conversation between the two of us, which they videoed it. And I think it's on YouTube. And, uh, Tyler Man, we had we had a lot of fun talking to him, but he got real spooky, you know. And uh, Tyler was, had great humor, but he was a good stunt guy for what he did. But he would wanted to be a producer director in heart. Ta da! <laughs> I have plenty of questions I could go on with, but why don't we just so we don't run out of time? Maybe sure. the audience has some questions, and I'm sure they'll touch on what I have on this paper anyway. Anybody like to ask some questions? Sorry, you look like you want to ask a question. Um, actually, one, one that I did want to ask was, and I know you said you were like performing and entertaining, was there a goal that you ever tried to go back to to get back on track with that, or you just stayed doing the stunts and everything because you just loved doing it? Well, I, first of all, I'm an entertainer. I've always been an entertainer. Yes, sir. I don't consider myself a stunt person, even though I'm in the stunt association all these years. I'm a lifetime member. You know, I got all kinds of awards, you know, for doing goofy things. But I'm an entertainer, stage and film. And I merged them together. And I look at myself with all the stuff and all the shows that I've done, over 400 stuff shows all over the world, uh, large portions. For example, uh, the Gong Show. I did a hundred of them. Wow. <laughs> but wow. I did 25 in front of camera. Okay. But the others was working with all the independent acts that were going to be filmed in his show. Because some of them were very nasty and very violent. And I had to get them out of those habits to make the show because they know they were going to be gone. Third show, I mean, it's a little rigged, but that's the way life is. And, but I did a hundred of those when they, because he had two networks. One was NBC, the other one was ABC. One was at daytime, the other one was at nighttime. One was one night a week, the other one was every day. That's why I, was, I worked so many shows. 
because there were so many people auditioning to get parts on the gong show. Then we did the gong show movie. I was the stunt coordinator, and I did the, uh, I don't know if you saw uh, gong show, uh, in the hospital, he runs into a guy with crippled uh, and knocks him down against the wall, and he goes down the hallway and crashes into the, the medical ones. And he doesn't look back or anything, he just keeps on going. That's me. <laughs> and stuff like that. And then, uh, then when we went up and did the outdoor stuff up in Santa Barbara, I did all the working with all the directors and all the stuff with all the stuff we did up there. So it, I consider myself an entertainer. And, and the stunts were the, a, a mean to support my family. But then suddenly, everybody was hiring me as a stunt coordinator and a stuntman and double, uh, Barry Botswick and all these other guys who were skinny and tall. And, uh, you know, and I went all over the world doing that. And uh, it ended up life. But working the live shows, they were the greatest thing. I had so much. And I have to say this, when I did the A-Team show, I had some of the greatest guys, and every one of them today that I cast in that show are the top stunt people in the business today. The guys I did in the Batman show for Six Flags all over the United States, I've done about 12, 15 of those, directing them, putting them together hard, overseas and all that stuff. A large portion of those people I cast in those parts of the Batman show, there's five of them in the Stuntman Association, there's four of them in Stunts Unlimited, and a whole bunch of independent. Because they learn, they listen, of what to entertain and how to project yourself to the industry. Because it's business. Everything's business. Did I lose concentration here? Not at all. Anybody else? Yes. Are you a horror movie fan, and do you have a favorite horror movie? Do I have a favorite horror movie? Yes. Let's see. Uh, how about uh, Joe Biden? Is that a little political? Yeah, maybe just a little Uh Let's see. One of the movies that I, I did, uh, one of the guys came up today and uh, had a poster. It was a Canadian film. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry that I, I forgot the name of it, but anyway. I doubled the lead in it because it was a monster picture of uh, entertainment on stage. That's why they hired me uh -huh. and to coordinate and do all the stuff with the dancers and all that stuff and, and, and the whole presentation. We shot it in Jamaica and uh, they, they originally were shooting it in, in uh, California and then they shut production down because they fired the director. And so the Canadians they didn't want to shoot it in California anymore. And they wanted more international, so they decided in, in Jamaica. So they cast me to go over there. 
I liked that show because there was dancers, I hate to say this again, but it was entertaining on the stage. And then I became the monster on the stage, doubling the major actor, which was on, doing the swings and the dance and all that stuff. That was fun. On Halloween was a good film. I don't put anything back. I just went in and did the stunt and went home, basically. I did it for a friend. And all the friends that worked on there, Dean Gunning and all those guys. And uh, I wasn't that involved with the production. I just came in to do the job. But with this show in, in Jamaica, I was involved. Yeah. And when you get involved, you get, I went and watched the dailies and I did this and to see what I did wrong or what I did right. So I could continue on to make the director and the producers and the people in Canada who were producing it enjoy it. And uh, so I would say that show and I, and I I wish I could remember the name uh, that show. I've done so many shows, they go through my head like a zip. But uh, I, it was the first time in, in any uh, place I've been at to sign autographs, a guy came up with that poster. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, it just took back a lot of memories. And, uh, but it was a, that was a show that I really enjoyed because I was involved. Yeah. Thank I hope you. that answered your question. Yes, thank you. Yes? Anybody else? That's Barbara would say. I've got a question for you. Jim, do you find that um, when you work with low-budget pictures, they're more, I mean, obviously it's a job, but do you think they're more enjoyable than working for a big-budget production? It depends on what the film is about. If it's a dramatic where it's just a conversation and talk, right. you know, camera angles and then and then, it, it, it depends on the script and the people that's doing it and how they're shooting it. Then on the major stuff, on independents, uh, a lot of independents have to take shortcuts because they don't have the money to do the big time stuff. So they try to cheat to make it look like they're doing something. But on the major film, you have the writers, all the production people, all this stuff, all cramming the director, like he's King Tuck. Right. He got all the control. And so they're different. Independent films, I've done, I've directed four independent films. And I've directed one, two, three, four, five, six other films where they fired the director and I finished the film for. Wow. Because I wasn't in the director guild. I, I got the money, but I didn't get the credit. Because mm -hmm. under DGA, you have to be if you sign a contract, his name's got to be on the, on the title, even though he gets fired. So I finished up two, three, four weeks of the film when they got rid of the director for whatever reason. And uh, and I, I and three of them were horror movies. The rest of them were action movies, helicopters and mm -hmm. stuff like that, and war movies and and. Those are out in the, in the woolies and the, with all the equipment and all that stuff, you know. And it's a lot different when you shoot in town where you're close-knit and right. you got traffic and people and everybody's watching and, you know, and you're going to wreck a car and turn it over in the middle of the street and you got all the homeless and all that. It's just amazing. 
the information, you know. Right. Uh, but I, to get back to what you asked, uh, it's a lot different in the way. It depends on the, the executive producer how much money they got. It all comes down to money, no matter what. Yeah. And uh, I, I did films. Uh, they brought me in because they uh, they paid millions of dollars out to do this film, and they went over budget and they lost everything. But they need two weeks of pickup shots mm -hmm. to make the film work. So they would bring me in, and I would shoot those two weeks in order to make the film. Those films, I didn't, I didn't, I got credit as a coordinator or something like that, but not as the director mm -hmm. because it was a GGA. And I, did, I turned down GGA so many times, they quit calling me because I didn't want to be part of GGA. And I wanted to be freelancing the way I was because mm -hmm. uh, I was traveling all over the world doing things that most guys wouldn't do. And uh, I had a, a great experience in China, Italy, Germany, Russia, German, you know, Australia. Mm -hmm. Argentina, all those places I worked, you know, doing things down on the Berlin line. Actually, you ought to do that someday. <laughs> I get through the line with the Russians and uh, and try to shoot it. And, uh, it was uh, interesting. And then I did a musical show in France and under the collar, and it was uh, uh, based on the movie New York, New York. I did all the dance routines and the action for a week for the French. <laughs> but I was working in Italy and uh, on the cop show, and uh, they asked me if I could come up for a week. So the producer allowed me to go up there for a week. So I did that. And then I went back to Italy and finished up the show down there. Excellent. So it's been a hell of a career for me. Yeah. And right uh, I learned. Every day was a learning process. Mm -hmm. I never stopped learning. And I always gave everybody the great credit because they were, they got a part, they got this, they were the production people, whatever, they were on the show. I never tried to make anything worse than what the producers wanted, you know. I, I, that's why I, I had a successful business. And I have to tell you this, I was trained by the world's finest stunt people that you saw in hundreds of movies on television from uh, 1948, 1950s, westerns and all of them. If you go on my website, jpwinburn.com, <laughs> and look at the tribute to, and look at all those guys, they're over 60. Every one of those is a part of my life. They gave me certain talent of doing things, and they gave me work. They gave me, they called the producer and said, put him as a coordinator. They could got the job, but they turned the job down so I could have it. So I would bring a man as a, you know, to play the parts or whatever it was. But if you go on my website, you'll see all the guys and some other stuff. There's a lot of garbage <laughs> of entertainment stuff. But you'll see all the people that had some part of my life to where I am today. And, uh, you know, I just turned 86. And all these guys are gone except a few. Right. And, uh, 
and it, it just amazes me that uh, the talent that they had, that they gave up that moment to give me that moment. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the industry was. That's outstanding. Good. Yeah. So we're probably going to have to wrap up in a moment. Um, I just want to ask one quick question. Sure. Probably a dumb one, but most of, most of us, if we had to fall off the balcony today onto that pit, um, would be scared. <laughs> what does a train stop mean? Do you still have a level of fear, or is the confidence such that it's just another day at the office? Yes. Okay. You have to have some type of information going into your system. What would go wrong? How do I get out if something goes wrong? I'll give you an example. I got a lot of them. <laughs> I was doing a show and uh, up in uh, the lake area of Los Angeles. Well, on a helicopter. It was a helicopter. It was a, it was a pilot show from Columbia, and, uh, which never went anywhere. And it was action oriented. And uh, we were in a helicopter fighting. The idea was after we cooled the bad guys in the helicopter, we would go out of the helicopter into the lake. Well, then they, we had a camera, another second helicopter was with a camera helicopter, but it was dressed up like a police helicopter. So the idea was they were shooting us as I would, as we would, uh, the other stunt guy and myself would go out of the helicopter into the lake. Well, something happened, and uh, Jackie Cooper, Coogan, Coogan or Cooper, the actor, the kid actor many years ago, back, back in the 40s, he was directing. He knows nothing about directing. He's an actor. Somehow, he got the job. So anyway, we had to stop the shoot because they were having problems with him. So we were hovering. And, and we were, I was talking to the, uh, to the, uh, the new director that's coming in to take over the show. And he said, we gotta make it more entertainment, more of this. So I said, well, that's a police helicopter and you're kind of in the scene, right? He said, yeah. I said, why don't we do this? As I go out, I'll go to the next helicopter and get the skids. And you can shoot it from that helicopter. I love it. Now, here we're sitting idling, right? And if you've ever been in a helicopter, you don't idle because you lose pressure. So you, you go up, and then if you want to accelerate out, it coughs, and you start losing. Well, anyway, Ringo, the pilot, kept getting higher and higher to keep me on. So we went from 40 feet to 140 feet, basically. And we're up here, and we're getting ready, and said, action, action, so I went out. And as I went out to grab, and the, the, the helicopter, he went this way, this helicopter went that way, and as I drove out, I was going to grab the squib, I had a hook on my arm. So as soon as I grabbed, the hook came on and locked me into the, so I wouldn't fall. Well, I missed the hook. <laughs> and it, I fell 160 feet into the water. <laughs> because we're only both been 40 or 50 feet above the water but due to the helicopter in Ireland and all that. They got it all on film. They loved it. <laughs> and I was hurting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to go like a ball 
And as soon as I hit, I had to spread. But I didn't know how deep it was in, the, in there. Unfortunately, it was about, I don't know, 20 feet deep, if it was that. But uh, I went all the way down. But uh, they loved it, and I said, well, that's a print. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. <laughs> no, but uh, it, it, it was something that uh, I didn't fear. Uh, in military, I never feared all the stuff I did in the military. Because life dictates certain things to you. And being trained in the Air Force, I was a bodyguard for General Hips. Uh, we traveled all over the world at that time, and back in uh, 1955, 56, 57, before I went to Luke Air Base. And uh, we traveled all over for security, and I was one of the security guys. And uh, there was another group that really were the bad guys. I protected General and the package. The package was the security stuff. And uh, so I learned not to fear with all the different countries I was in and all the different, uh, we had a lot of rehearsal. And uh, a lot of the martial art guys would come in and try to take the package and we would have to fight it. So we learned a lot of stuff through the military and these would be rangers or whatever they were, and trying to do secret stuff. And uh, so we were working out all the time. But I learned not to fear, because if I know the job, I know there's an exit. So I always try to find the exit. And I always protected the individual if it was an atmosphere person involved, actors, camera crew, all the people, that the vehicle or the empty would not hit them. It would hit me first before it hit them. And so I, I've never had that, that scare fright that a lot of people have. I think it's eating good candy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the taking the time today, and thank you for entertaining us all these years. It's over with? Yeah. I just started. <laughs> Keep going, Jim. We can find another room for us. but I could listen to you all day. Well, just remember one thing. Do the best you can, because life is good. Right on. Of course, Chip will be at his table the rest of today and tomorrow, and he does have a photo op. Yeah. If, uh